Ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Lock and load. It's time for the gun rack with your hosts, Joey and Drew. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Gun Rack's North Desert Institute School of Firearm Technology's official podcast. I'm Josiah Upper. Folks call me Joey, and with me, we have one Drew Poplin. Drew Poplin. Many people have mistaken him for Drew Poplin, which is uh, the Italian version. Tell you what. Drew. People mistake me for bald Leon Trotsky. Uh, wow, it's a little aggressive, I think, but I get it with the stash. For yeah. those of you that can't see, Drew normally has a luscious beard. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty thick, pretty burly man, and he has cut it down to the Van Dyke. Um, and uh, if he were brave enough to get rid of the little bit of chin fuzz he's got going on, he would be from Italy. Um, to to heck with all the geography involved he would he would be tossing pizzas into the air um and saying gabagool so i'm hoping gabagool is not a bad word i don't think so <laughs> i think it's literally just type of meat is it really yeah i'm gonna look it up it is a type of meat we're safe the third number three picture of it is someone uh photoshopping uh, gabagool towards uh, Tony Soprano's face. So, I, was, I was going to say the Sopranos is literally the only reason I knew what gabagool was. I watched through the Sopranos and forgot completely. So mm. that's cool of me. Now but, I'm hung- I want some deli meats now. Honestly, dude, I went to Aldi. This is this is a true story. I went to Aldi and they said party platter, like in their frozen deli or not frozen, refrigerated deli section. I was like, okay, word, I've got a thing going on uh, later today, actually. And I took a peek and it was, there might've been some pepperoni in there, but it appeared for all the world that it was four compartments and it was just salami of different thicknesses. That was the party tray. And I love salami, but that's morally wrong. (laughs) That is not I, what a party tray is. I hate salami. I hate oh, salami. So I hate good. bologna. But I have heard with bologna sal- terrible. But yeah, I've heard that like with bologna and salami though, like if you go to a shop in Verona or uh, or whatever, you know, and you ask for some salami or bologna, apparently it tastes amazing. Yeah, um, I love love salami. I like liverwurst, which is literally spreadable meat which I don't know if you've ever had that one. That was a staple of my childhood, which is why I grew up to be chunky for a long time. Very, very heavy meat. Um, it's good stuff. You look like a man who's had haggis. I have not had haggis. I've been offered haggis uh, in North Carolina. I made a point. It's, it's hours away, but they do a Highland Games oh, yeah. out here annually because there is a very large population from scotland out near appalachia um so they do a highland games and i've been offered haggis i think every single time i've been and i've been there multiple times i turn them down every time i can't i cannot screw my courage to the sticking place in regards to haggis i don't have that in me yeah when are we going to the highland games dude i would happily go to the highland games this year 
Uh, it'll be hot because we're recording on June 17th and it's 95 degrees outside right now. It's not even summer yet. Nuts. Freaking nuts, man. Ugh. But we could go roast in Appalachia together. Sounds good. In the meantime, I got some clues for y'all. Yeah. Okay. Drew Pablo's on the clues. Drew's clues. Let's go. All right. So last week's answer was, and I tried to give you hints throughout the episode. I don't know if you caught it, but uh, it's the Colt Patterson. Uh, we actually Colt talked Patterson. about Yeah. We actually talked about the uh, Colt revolving rifle a little bit before. And in Ashley's write up, it actually mentioned the Colt Patterson. This week, we have a couple more clues for you. We have clues. Yes, sir. Number one, this is a repeating rifle. Number two, it fires 44 Henry. Number three, it's nicknamed Yellow Boy. And number four, its creator slash figurehead is connected to a famous, possibly haunted house known for its insane design choices. Interesting. I didn't know that. Oh, really? Yeah. That's another place we'll have to go. Yes. I'm into it very into it um yeah all right so we're going to get into the meat of this thing as soon as we're done hyping up sonoran desert institute sonoran desert institute is an online school accredited by the deac uh, we have two schools under the institute we have the school of unmanned technology and the school of firearms technology we have three programs within those we have the certificate in firearms technology gunsmithing uh, the associate of science in firearms technology and uh, under the uh, school of unmanned technology we have the certificate in unmanned technology aerial systems uh, really interesting stuff for you to learn if you are interested in those topics at that level. We would love to have you come check us out at sdi.edu. Learn more about our school and why we are so passionate about bringing a quality education to our students. sdi.edu. One last time. Uh, if you're not a part of the Snorn Desert Institute family, we would love, love, love to have you. Check it out. Question for you, Joey. Yes. Did you ever watch the 1992 movie Three Ninjas? <laughs> no. What is that? Okay, never mind. So Three Ninjas is uh, basically take a crossover between Karate Kid and Home Alone. <laughs> it's like these three kids. But if you had seen it, I was going to say, okay, remember the names? You have Rocky, Tom Tom, and what's what's the other name? It's Colt. Is it? It is. We're talking it's about Colt. We're talking about Samuel Colt people, which is funny enough because uh, one of the other kids, his actual name is Samuel. So, though, no, if you're going to say it was a mix of Home Alone and the Karate Kid, is that right? Yeah, with maybe a little, like a little bit of a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in it. You, you just described Spy Kids. Okay, but this is better. Is it? Is that possible? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to say the bad guys are better, but oh, I don't okay. know about that. Um, well, the uh, the Spy Kids 2 all the time in the world has Steve Buscemi as exactly. the antagonist slash uh, supporting character. Not to spoil a, uh, <laughs> uh, I think, 20-year-old movie for you. Yeah, you'll just have to check that one out yourselves. But we're talking about Samuel Colt today. Yes, we are. 
uh, eventually. Yes. Yeah. And uh, that will be, uh, and uh, I'm actually taking over. So Joey, yeah. if you want to sit back, relax. I'm you know, going to. I'm going to drink feet. Zip Fizz. Z-I-P-F-I-Z-Z. Zip Fizz. And we'll get started right now. All right. Yeah, let's get into this. First things first, I want to shout out some of the sources I used. Uh, the chief one being limelson-mit.edu. And then I also used thoughtco.com and biography.com. Uh, so yeah, let's get into this. Samuel Colt was born July 19th, 1814 in Hartford, Connecticut. Now growing up, Samuel he actually had a prized possession. His maternal grandfather, so his mom's dad, served as an officer actually in George Washington's Continental Army, which is wild because I I feel like George Washington keeps popping up in these episodes. But he served with George Washington. And Samuel was given his grandfather's flintlock pistol uh, back from his service days where he served to George Washington. And so, of course, Colt fell in love with it. You know, some people speculate that's maybe where, you know, his love of guns came from. But you also have to consider his dad was a businessman. His dad ran a small silk and woolen factory. So Samuel was surrounded by machines uh, from an early age. Um, from the age of 15, he actually worked in his dad's factory. He worked with machines and nuts and bolts. And he definitely showed his talent for working in this field. However, in his spare time, he also was experimenting with gunpowder charges. Uh, he would actually set off small explosions at a nearby lake. So he had some discipline issues. In fact, in 1830, uh, so he was at the age of 16 at the time, um, Samuel's father sent him to a private academy uh, in Amherst, Massachusetts, the Amherst, Amherst Academy, sorry. And he was a good student, uh, but he was actually... <laughs> often disciplined for conducting unapproved demonstrations of his explosive devices. So, yeah, he, man, he liked it when things went boom. That's all I can say. In fact, after one such display at the school's 1830 July 4th celebration, which, on the one hand, you think that'd be the best place to do something like that. However, um, <laughs> one of his we'll call it demonstrations, actually uh, caused a fire on campus. Um, he was expelled. And so his father actually sent him, um, sent him on a boat. Uh, he sent him on a boat to learn the life of a seaman. And this would take him uh, all over, as you can imagine. Uh, lots of traveling. Uh, but among other places, it took him to India. One thing that I tend to notice about inventors is that um, they're always very observant and they have these uncanny ways of observing simple tasks and somehow transforming that into a new idea. So during his time at sea, he would actually study the capstan and the ship's wheel and like see how these parts worked. And it is said that from looking at these instruments, 
that that's where he got the idea for the revolver. He saw how something similar to a rotating cylinder could be used to load individual cartridges in front of a gun's firing barrel. So you had the you know the spinning wheel and somehow he was able to look at that and think about individual cartridges being loaded into a gun cylinder. It's it's fascinating to me. In fact, Samuel Colt uh, would later say, regardless of which way the wheel was spun, each spoke always came in direct line with a clutch that could be set to hold it. The revolver was conceived. And so while he was on the boat, he actually made uh, wooden models of his concept for the revolver. And so when he came back to America in 1932... Uh, he went back to his dad's shop in Massachusetts. Uh, he showed his dad, uh, the businessman, this invention. So his dad saw enough promise there that um, eventually his dad would finance the production of three prototypes. Two of them being handguns and one of them being a rifle. Um, and again, we talked about this rifle, I want to say it was last week, the week before. So this next section I call Let's Get to Building. Oh, never mind. Um, and you'll see why. So Samuel Colt, he builds these prototypes and their initial success, right? Well, not totally. The rifle actually fired successfully, but the handguns, ironically, uh, were the ones he had a lot of trouble with. So, you know, you're looking at this and you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, two of them didn't work, but one of them seemed to work all right. Um, the rifle seemed to work. Maybe we'll go, we'll explore that possibility because this could be pretty cool. Uh, so encouraged by the success of the rifle, his father decided to still support his son's possibly revolutionary idea, right? Well, much like Joey's dad not supporting this podcast, no. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm just messing with uh, Mr. Upper. Um, but, uh, no, his father actually withdrew funds. All this left Samuel needing money to finance his concept. Uh, so once again, this took him away from Massachusetts and this time he would actually become a traveling salesman. He would go around the nation and he would sell nitrous oxide or, um, what is more commonly referred to as laughing gas. And why this would seem like this was a really random detour, he was actually able to use this experience. Um, and what he did, he used this experience to kind of hone his salesman abilities, his ability to pitch these ideas and these products. Um, so I appreciate how he was able to kind of take something that seems like it was just a random blip in his life and use it to... Uh, further his goals. Finally, he was actually able to save enough money to be, eventually be able to hand his design to people who were skilled at gunsmithing to build his revolver. Now, this would be an excellent time for SDI plug, but uh, I don't want to give you three in one episode. However, if you are interested in getting your education and starting your journey to becoming a skilled gunsmith, consider SDI. Anyway, continuing on, in terms of the repeating firearm, there were earlier designs. He wasn't the first person to ever 
conceive of a repeating firearm. Um, in fact, Samuel Colt always acknowledged that his firearm had been an improvement to a revolving flintlock pistol that was patented uh, patented by a Boston gunsmith called Elisha Coulier around 1814. The difference being with that flintlock pistol design, uh, the revolving flintlock pistol that Elisha developed, on his, it was all the barrels that rotated. So there was multiple barrels, and they would all rotate around. However, Colt had a fixed barrel while it was the cylinder that did the rotating. And he would eventually get further help from John Pearson. Uh, John Pearson was a master gunsmith. Um, and what Pearson did was basically he would help Colt uh, further refine his design. Until finally, on February 25th, 1836, he received a patent for a revolving gun. Um, and when he did this, investors came calling. In, uh, influential ones. In fact, one of them was a superintendent at the U.S. Patent Office. I would not be surprised if he came across this design, recognized the potential, and decided, oh, I want to, I want to hop on board this. And another influential investor was his own uncle. And so all these investors, they gave him the financial support to start the Patent Arms Manufacturing Company. And this is where I think it's important, or rather interesting, at least for me, because I always knew of Colt Firearms, and I knew that, you know, he essentially invented the revolver, you know, as we understand it. But what I wasn't aware was how he changed the firearms industry, aside from just the revolver. See, another way that he revolutionized the industry was by turning the firearms industry into an industry. He envisioned being able to manufacture many of these and he tried to design his firearms in a way to where it would lend itself to manufacturing he told his father in 1836 quote the first workman would receive two or three of the most important parts and would fix the ease and pass them on to the next would add a part and pass the growing article onto another who could do the same and so on until the complete arm is put together also, screw you, I was right, Dad. I may have added that last part. However, his revolving gun didn't immediately break sales records. Uh, you didn't see immediate results. It didn't help that he had a incredible talent for blowing money on lavish, unnecessary stuff. But at the end of 1837... He hadn't sold many of the 1,000 revolvers that he produced. So, very easily, he could have... This could have been a story that went nowhere, and the firearms world, as we know it today, would be so different. He tried to sell his revolvers to the U.S. government, actually, but the Army objected to that firearm's use of a percussion cap, which... That had been invented 20 years earlier, but it was just starting to actually come into use. Many government officials were concerned with uh, how safe the firearm was, 
and all these concerns and uh, because he wasn't able to really sell his firearm, he was forced to close down the factory in 1842. In the meantime, however, Samuel Colt kept working and tinkering and creating. He created several other revolver models, including the belt, pocket, and holster revolvers, as well as two kinds of long armor rifles. He also developed ideas for waterproof ammunition, underwater mines and technologies unrelated to the firearms business, including an underwater telegraph line and contributions to what would later become inventor Samuel F.P. Morse's telegraph. However, Samuel's luck would change in terms of the revolver uh, when the Mexican-American War broke out in 1846. Apparently, the U.S. government heard reports about the Colt revolver from the Texas Rangers. There were a couple Texas Rangers who had had his revolver, and uh, they liked it. So the U.S. government ordered 1,000 pistols, and Colt was back in business. Um, so he got further help from Captain Samuel Walker on improving the design, uh, and that's one reason he dubbed this particular pistol the Walker pistol. And from then on, that's when Colt really started to prosper in this industry, in this business. And from there, it just kind of kept growing. In 1851, he became the first American to open up firearms plant in England, um, which fur went further into increasing his international reputation. In 1855, he opened the Colt Manufacturing Company in its current location of Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, they have sales offices in New York and London still. Um, and within a year, so by 1856, the company was producing 150 guns a day. So just think back to those early days. Imagine going from 1,000 firearms produced in a single year to a tenth of that in a single day. 10 days of production surpassed his meager early output. That's wild to me. Um, it, that's just really impressive for me to see. Uh, and finally, he got married in 1856 and would die shortly after in 1862. Now, I don't need to go on and on about the legacy of Samuel Colt and his Colt revolver, but... What he did was revolutionary for our industry. Um, if Samuel Colt hadn't invented the revolver, I'm not entirely sure where firearms would be today. Um, the Colt revolver changed the game. Uh, the way he went about manufacturing his firearms changed the game. Um, and yeah, I... I certainly enjoyed digging into this topic, and yeah, that's Samuel Cole, everybody. That's his life. All right, we're done. Uh, we have survived a history lesson with Samuel Colt and the Colt Revolver. Actually, really impressive stuff. Cool, uh, cool guy. And uh, I think we're going to uh, bring another history uh, podcast here before too long. That should be really nice too. Uh, but Samuel Colton, the Colt Revolver, 
uh, really cool piece of American firearms history, and really just history of firearms technology. Uh, but now we have to emigrate over to Tales from the Range. Tales from the Range. Uh, with none, uh, I would volunteer to take it for Drew, but I don't know which one it is this time. So Drew's going to have to do just one more bit of reading. I think I can. I think I can manage. This comes from the fire uh, firing line. Yeah, maybe I can manage the firingline.com, and this poster's name is Sir William. There is a mall not far from the range I compete at. Once upon a time, a punk was shoplifting from a Sears store. Sears pursues the shoplifter. The chase was on foot and ran by the riverside up to our range. We had zero clue. Shooters on the line for PPC, hot range. Suddenly, the shoplifter pops up behind the berm. I can't imagine what the shoplifter thought when the Sears security was on him one moment and stopped chasing him another. Home free, maybe. He was definitely surprised to be looking down multiple muzzles with so many LEOs. I'm certain he needed a shower and a gel issue jumpsuit after that. Wait, did he pull out a firearm himself? No, no. So what happened was like all these guys were at a gun range doing their thing. They didn't know, a, you know, someone had just shoplift from Sears. And so the shoplifter was running away. Um, I guess he didn't know he was ending up at a gun range. And so like, you know, you have people at a gun range, they're getting ready to, you know, shoot because it's a hot range. All of a sudden a guy, the shoplifter just pops up behind the berm. Like, Oh my gosh. And it's like faced with this whole line of dudes, like with their weapons. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I was about to say it doesn't, you know, using that level of force against a shoplifter is bonkers, but uh, that's just really unfortunate coincidence, isn't it? Yeah. Well, definitely unfortunate for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, that is rough stuff. But yeah. uh, I mean, imagine committing as petty a crime as shoplifting, just having your world rocked from, a, from a Sears, too. Like, yeah. Like if he could go forward in time to where we are now, he, he'd really have to ask himself, was it worth it? Was it worth it? The pay? Well, I mean, did Sears go bankrupt? I think at least the one in our area did. Yeah, our Sears did not do well, if I remember correctly. Um, irrelevant, interesting tale from the range, or tale towards the range, I think, in this case. But oh. fun. Whoa. Uh, before we head out for the day, Sonoran Desert Institute, SDI.edu, come check us out. That's a pretty short ad read, but if you're interested in us, you can hop over to news, check out our graduate features, and our graduates can tell you about where they came from, uh, SDI, and where they're headed, and uh, that's something I really like to share with our listeners because they are as good and uh uh, picture into the SDI experience as anything and uh, definitely worth your time to check out. So SDI.edu news and then grad features. All right. So with that, that is the gun rack. Have fun out there. We will see you at the range. Sonoran Desert Institute is an online school accredited by the DEAC. 
It is headquartered at 1555 West University Drive in Tempe, Arizona. For more information about how you can craft your firearms future, visit sdi.edu.